Hello, it's Haiku P podcast time again. My name is Patricia and today I'm all on my own for a change, bringing you a podcast on a topic I find really interesting. It's a technique workshop and I'll tell you more about that in a minute. But before we get to the Haiku workshop, let me thank you for your submissions on memory and your Haibun submissions. This month, July 2022, the editing team are already reading your submissions for the vulgarity theme. Shane and I will be reading your Haibun and letting you know the status of your submission probably around mid-August, sooner if we can. The Haiku and Senryu judges are thinking about their nominations for the judges' choice for memory and the honourable mentions. We're busy, busy, busy. And by the way, I need a judge for August. Is anyone interested? In our next podcast, you can hear some very moving and funny original pieces of work, as well as the results of the judges' deliberations. Well, I say results, but you won't find out the final results until you read them in the journal. Speaking of which, did you download the first journal of the year, 122? You can find the link on the website, and of course, I'll put it in the show notes for you. Do go and have a look. It has haiku, senryu, haibun, and split sequences. I always let you know which journal your work will be in in your acceptance email, so do go and check if you're unsure. Now, as I mentioned, we've started reading your submissions for the vulgarity reading period. Do go and listen to Keith Everett's workshop. It's on audio and YouTube. He's got some great advice for you. We're thinking that this episode will allow you a lot of freedom, but do consider the techniques of your haiku senryu. Ultimately, if your work is not well-crafted, it won't be accepted. Well-crafted work is what drives me. The podcast and YouTube workshops are designed to help all of us, me included, to write better work. To that end, I'm putting together particular digital courses and today's workshop is a taster for the first one. The first one will look at getting the basics right. And so we'll be looking at the elements of haiku craft that will bring your work to the level of getting it published. Now, getting published is not the be all and end all of writing for me. It's lovely to have something accepted. A bit like doing a podcast, you don't want to be talking into a void, but there are other reasons to hone your technique. So let's get started, shall we? I promise you, I've got some cracking haiku to read to you to illustrate my thoughts. Today, I'm really going to be drilling down into the technique of using contrast in your haiku. For me, when I get into one of those dry periods, I always go back to the basics and start from scratch. It nudges me in a creative direction and the haiku and senryu I seek out to illustrate the techniques combined with the ideas of construction usually get the creative juices flowing. I'm going to share some haiku with you today in the hope that they'll do the same for you. But there's one other point I want to make about learning technique. The writing of haiku and senryu has rules, conventions. As beginners, we often break them because we don't know any better because we've been writing different types of poetry which have different sets of rules, and we mistakenly apply them to our short form writing. More often than not, the haiku and senryu are the worst for our mistakes, 
But if we know what we're doing, if we consider the rule we're breaking and decide to break with convention, then perhaps we're moving the genre on. Perhaps we're helping to evolve the style and everything evolves, doesn't it? If you haven't already listened to my chat with Michael Dudley on Poetry P Readings, do have a listen or watch it on YouTube because we discuss just this point. Will you agree with Michael, I wonder? When I was putting this podcast together, I found a little something written in a short essay by Carla Ramesh. Details, you know where. It sums up perfectly how I feel about learning techniques. She said, for long, I've also held the view that techniques are the banks that allow the spirit of creativity to flow. Without these banks, there would be devastation. And the saddest thing is that the river would be lost. So if we consider this creative spirit as a river, then we need to keep it flowing, which demands the need to inquire, expand the banks and dig deeper. Now, most people see juxtaposition as a key element of haiku. Personally, I think you can have one image haiku and we'll go into that another day. But for today, let's just stick with juxtaposition, shall we? What is juxtaposition? Well, as Betty Drevniok says in Awari, a haiku primer, written in 1971, it's the poet expressing an observed relationship between two things. What techniques do we utilize to create juxtaposition? Well, the most basic of techniques we use are association, comparison, and contrast. Let's have a quick look at the first two which from my reading of a humongous amount of journals, anthologies, books, and haiku texts, seems to suggest are the most heavily used. You may think differently. And as always, feel free to let me know via email. Association, what is it? Well, with this technique, by putting two dissimilar images together, you can create a sense of oneness. Let's have an example. Gita chanting, birds become the ellipsis. Gita chanting, birds become the ellipsis. Carla Ramesh, the Akita International Haiku Award, September 2014, honorable mention. If you'd like to find out what Gita chanting is, there are many examples on YouTube. But even if you don't know what it is exactly, you can still feel the essence of how the birds and the chanting come together to form one, can't you? Comparison. Now, by using this technique, you suggest how two different things are similar. Spring sunlight, the two brief pause of a comma. Spring sunlight, the two brief pause of a comma. Kristen Lindquist, Tandem 1.1. In comparing the two different images, spring sunlight and the short pause you get with a comma, Kristen has successfully given us that aha moment. Of course, it depends where you live. You may not have a spring to enjoy, but certainly I can understand as my home is often shrouded in lake mist. The frustration of that brief glimpse of sunlight. Oh, Kristen, I totally get it. This comparison does the job 
very nicely. Sometimes when juxtaposing, you can separate the images too much. We have to be very careful about that. When you do this, it's hard to decipher the relationship between the fragment and the phrase. And so your reader doesn't get the meaning of the poem. But Kristen for me has got that distance just right here. Enough space to make me think and nod my head in recognition. And now we come to the meat of the workshop. At least I hope it will be. Contrast. How will I define it for you? Well, contrast is the putting together of images that are opposites of one another to create a little excitement or moment for your reader. Let's have a look at a few examples and see if I can get your creative juices flowing. Someone's last first cicada. Someone's last first cicada. Marsh Muirhead, 2008, Haiku 21. Here we have the juxtaposition of first and last to good effect. Linguistically, the poet has played with our perception a little. Can you see? We'd normally expect first to come before last, but it doesn't here. So we're already on the alert for something a little different, aren't we? And we are rewarded with that lovely aha moment. Of course, if you hear the cicada for the first time, it's the last time it will ever be novel to you. Wind chime. Maybe one day you'll grow up to be a temple bell. Wind chime. Maybe one day you'll grow up to be a temple bell. Stamford M. Forrester. Smiling Anyway, Selected Haiku and Senryu, 2018. Stanford here uses the idea of small and large to create his verse. Has he anthropomorphized the bells? Well, as you know from some of the submissions you send me, I'm not the biggest fan of anthropomorphizing. But remember what I said at the beginning, sometimes breaking the rules work. The fragment and phrase are clear and understandable in and of themselves. The depth for me is in the metaphor. Wind chimes, small, often gangly things like a teenager undergoing a growth spurt, becoming the glorious and beautiful temple bell. The wind chimes voice, tinkly and small, breaking into the loud and solid temple bell. It's a bit like the story of the ugly duckling, isn't it? September sunrise, Marine leaving for the Persian Gulf looks back at his wife. September sunrise, Marine leaving for the Persian Gulf looks back at his wife. Leonard D. Moore, Desert Storm, 1993. Now this one by Leonard D. Moore uses opposites sublimely. I hope you'll agree. On the surface of the verse, you have the idea of beginnings and ends. A sunrise, the day is beginning, and the marine is leaving. But look, he deceives us. The use of the opposite serves to highlight that in fact, 
they are two beginnings. The beginning of the day, and the beginning of the marine service in the war zone. Or is it? By using the September sunrise, an idea of autumn slips into our heads, often a melancholy time of the year, as it drifts towards its end. And we are perhaps driven to think about the end of life. It's a time of reflection, isn't it? So could Moore also be talking about the beginnings of ends? Ooh, successful haiku give you so much to think about, don't they? Rose-filled afternoon, a couple of prairie boys drowning a gopher. Rose-filled afternoon, a couple of prairie boys drowning a gopher. C.M. Buckaway, Betty Drevniok, Awari Haiku Primer. Buckaway has used a pleasant image harshly juxtaposed with an abhorrent one in this. You may not be able to call to mind the smell of a prairie rose. I know I can't. But I bet we can all breathe in and recall how wonderful a rose smells. And whilst these prairie boys probably thought nothing of drowning the gopher, it was a part of their existence. But as readers, possibly more so than when this was written, we may find this image of the boys loathsome. By using these contrary images, don't you think Buckaway has highlighted both senses, the beauty of the scent of the rose and the repulsiveness of the boys drowning the gopher? This morning, just as I am thinking spring, another snowfall. This morning, just as I am thinking spring, another snowfall. Margaret Saunders, Betty Drevniok, a warrior haiku primer. Remember what I said earlier, sometimes in the interests of the poem, you deem it necessary to break the rules. So let's get that one out of the way first. Yes, there are two Kigo in this. Two seasons are indicated, spring and winter, which of course many frown upon. They're not maybe technically opposites, but if you think of them in terms of the beginning of life and the end of life, spring and winter, I thought it worked. But let's go back to the Kigo for a second. In this instance, I believe two things mitigate their use. The stress for me is on spring. Margaret is indicating that the haiku is a spring haiku. And the use of snow when you would more likely expect plum blossoms or some other spring-like image highlights the frustration that Margaret feels when she sees the snow. And you know, I was watching the weather forecast here in Switzerland, I think it was at the end of May, beginning of June, we were having a cold snap and snow was forecast on mid to high ground. My reaction was definitely that of Margaret's. But then if you're a regular listener, you'll know how I feel about snow. Jacaranda flowers, the twin tracks of a car. Jacaranda flowers, the twin tracks of a car. Paul W. McNeil, the heron's nest, 2.5. Now here we're looking at the juxtaposition of the natural and the man-made. Let me tell you what Ferris Gilly said about this haiku in her essay, The Power of Juxtaposition. 
When I see these images in juxtaposition, I become newly aware that products of human existence are often present in the very midst of nature. And the reverse is true as well. Nature can be found sprouting from asphalt cracks, forming a coral reef over a sunken ship, or nesting on window ledges among skyscrapers of concrete and steel. And how many times have you walked past a weed growing in the cracks of a concrete jungle and remarked upon the beauty of it? Doesn't this poem not only highlight that beauty, but also make you sad that man in the form of these cars damages nature? Could this be a metaphor for our times? What emotions do you feel when you read this? Harvest moon, migrant kids eat the bread tossed to the crows. Harvest moon, migrant kids eat the bread tossed to the crows. John Wisdom, The Heron's Nest, 2.11. On the face of it, John Wisdom is contrasting abundance with scarcity. The use of harvest moon brings the idea of filling our pantries and shelves with a plentiful supply of food after the harvest. And the image he's juxtaposed with this speaks of hunger, of a lack of food. Again, putting the two images together reinforces both of them. But the unfairness, the monstrosity of the phrase is exacerbated, don't you think? One of the joys of a good haiku is the space it gives you as a reader to interpret, isn't it? Most often, we create this space by the cut between the fragment and the phrase. Shall we call it thinking time? And if we delve deeper into this poem, what does it say to you? The best case, the children are the children of migrant workers brought in to be part of the harvesting team and bored they're playing games and eating the bread tossed for the birds. The worst case, John is talking of the divides we find in our world today, the haves and have-nots, countries and societies which do not suffer hunger and starvation, and others that do. And so we come to the end of our examples. Let's think about what I'll be looking for when it comes to submissions. Of course, you should always go and check the general guidelines on the submission page of Poetry P, because if the poem doesn't meet the criteria, well, you know what's going to happen. But I'm looking for pieces that display juxtaposition. More precisely for this submission period, you should use opposites, contrasts in your juxtaposition. And now what I say at next applies to all juxtaposition, contrast or otherwise. But I'd really like you to think about these next few ideas when you're composing, not just next time, but whenever you're juxtaposing. I think they'll help you create stronger short form poetry and of course, increase your chances of publication and not just with poetry P. So the fragment and phrase of your juxtaposition should add weight to one another, as we've seen with the haiku, haiku I've talked about today. They should be clearly understandable in and of themselves. Let's not do abstract thoughts. They should have an effect or meaning beyond the service reading of your piece. 
help your reader to dig deep, give them something to work with. And they should have space between them that allows your reader to use their imagination and find the truth of what the poem means to them. But be careful, don't put so much space that the meaning is lost. So that's it. When I was putting this little presentation together, it inspired me to fill a few pages of my haiku notebook with haiku, senryu, and ideas for poems. I really hope it does the same for you. Now, I have a little addendum to the podcast. After I'd recorded it for you, I did some workshopping with the Yorkshire and Lancashire haiku group in the UK, and I just want to say thank you very much to them for going through the podcast and my notes with me and for creating some very interesting haiku and senryu afterwards. Thank you very much. And I thought it would be interesting for you to know and perhaps give you a little bit more inspiration what sort of contrasts they came up with in their haiku. So here's a little list for you. And of course, it'll be attached to the show notes. They talked of age, old and young, speed, fast and slow, paused and moving, temperature, hot and cold, sound, quiet and noise, nature versus man-made things, smells, the pleasant versus the unpleasant, man-made smells versus natural smells, purity and impurity, just to give you a few ideas straight from the Yorks and Lanks haiku group. So once again, thank you very much to them. Cheers, guys. Thank you for being with me today. Don't forget to head over to Poetry P and rifle through the many free resources which could be useful in improving your work. The show notes for this workshop can be found there too. And if you'd like to support us with a coffee or a donation, you'll find a way to do that on the website. We'd be most grateful. Remember, we're reading your poems inspired by Keith Ebert's workshop on vulgarity throughout the haiku ages. Free yourself up, be brave and write some haiku and scenery that perhaps you hadn't ever thought you had in you. The important thing is the craft. Well-crafted poems will go a long way with us. And if you'd like to hear poets read their work and tell us how they create their haiku and senryu, do go to our po other podcast, Poetry P Readings, available also at YouTube as PTV Readings. They always have me reaching for my notebook. Do let me know what you think. Thank you for being with me today and listening to this presentation. I'd love to get your feedback, so do drop me a line or message me at Twitter. I know you're out there. Talk to me. So until we meet again, to hear your original haiku and senryu fresh from your memories, keep writing. The show notes are downloadable. Do let me know if anything's missing and I'll sort it out for you. Ciao.